Welcome to our teaching today, where Christ's Word is the center of our world. We are about to listen to the undiluted Word of God from the throne of grace with Pastor Philip Ransom Bello. This evening we're going to continue from where we stopped. We talked about various questions that are popularly known to be controversial in regard to the discourse on grace and law. So the first question we addressed on Sunday was, who can remind me, what, what was the first question we talked about? Uh, yeah, we said narrow is the way that leads to narrow is the way, narrow is the gate, narrow is the way, and broad is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And then we explained what that meant. We also talked about the question that, that, that people ask. For without holiness, it's impossible to see God. But the Bible um, didn't just say that. It began by saying, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification thereof. For without holiness, it's impossible to please God. So the context there is talking about men, it's talking about people, it's talking about um, the people who are around you. The people who are around you need to see God. So therefore it says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification thereof, for without which no man shall see the Lord. First um, Corinthians 15 verse 34 um, is revealed there where he says awake to righteousness Paul says awake to righteousness and sin not for many have not known God and I speak this to your shame so he's saying that your consciousness of yourself I mean your consciousness of your righteousness which produces holiness brings about um, the fruits of righteousness that's the fruits of righteousness right there and when people see that, they come to the knowledge of God because of your life. So he says that when that doesn't happen, I speak this to your shame. So he's saying that the righteousness which you are meant to express is supposed to bring your neighbor to the knowledge of God. Now, that's the God your neighbor sees. Let your light so shine before men that... They may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Which means that your light is supposed to shine because that's the God your neighbor sees. Praise God. So when it says pursue peace with all men and the sanctification for without which no man shall see the Lord. He's not talking about you going to heaven. He's talking about you portraying the life of the gospel to the point where people can figure God out from just looking at you. Amen. Amen. And we also talked about um, the question where people popularly ask, are you trying to say that if I commit a sin, that uh, if the trumpet sounds after a sin, I won't go to heaven? And then we answered that question saying that, 
um, you're going to heaven in the first place or your being a believer in the first place was never dependent on your works. So meaning that you're not going to heaven will not be by what you do. If what you do did not qualify you for heaven, then what you don't do or what you do wrong will not stop you from going to heaven. It's just simple logic. Hallelujah. So um, we said that when you come into the place of being righteous, you haven't become righteous because of your actions. The day you walked up to the altar and the pastor said, take the prayer with me. And then you made the confession prayer. You didn't do anything. All you did was to believe. Somebody say believe. So that's what qualifies you for heaven. A man who gives his son, um, let me put it this way, a man who punishes his son because of what his son did wrong, doesn't mean he has disowned the son. So if you're a son and you do what is wrong, it doesn't mean you have stopped being a son. It's just that you might not be someone who would inherit or benefit from your father as much as when you do what is right. But you are still a son according to the status of sonship. So it's the same thing when you come into the kingdom by faith or when you come into the kingdom by believing. You never came by works in the first place. And that's the mystery of salvation. Hallelujah. That's the mystery and the blessing of salvation. The blessing of salvation is the fact that because we couldn't save ourselves, Jesus did. And if you put your faith in Jesus, you are now saved. Amen. And that's the good news that we celebrate. Hallelujah. So let me read. Let's, let's do a full chapter. Let's do Second Corinthians chapter 3. From verse 1. Are you there? If you're there, say Amen. amen. Alright. Second Corinthians 3 verse 1. It says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you? Or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistles, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Verse 3 says, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. I want us to read verse 3 together. That's where we're going to begin from, from verse 3 to verse 18. But let's just start from verse 3. Let's do it together. One to go. For as much as ye have manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, of the heart. Hallelujah. Now you can see that there is a distinction between two things. There's a distinction between the law and grace. There's a distinction between 
the ministry of the law and the ministry of grace. So let's say law and grace. Alright, so here the Bible tells us where the ministry of law is written on and by what it is written with. So, where is the ministry of the law written on according to what your Bible said? Tables of stone. And by what is it written? With ink. So, now the distinction here is that the law is written on tables of stone. Of course, we know that's the old, I mean, that's the Ten Commandments. Then, written with ink, but with the, now in distinction, concerning grace, it says, but the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. Which tells you that the old covenant is not necessarily... Um, um, what you read per se the old covenant is what has been ministered to when you read it so it's not actually in the reading of the old covenant it's what the old covenant dispenses and we'll go down as we see that and then the ministry of the spirit is not written by ink and it's not written on tables of stones. The ministry of the new covenant is written by the Spirit of God. The ministry of the new covenant... Okay, can I ask you a, a, a question? If you look at your Bible, what is the Old Testament? Genesis to Malachi. Is that correct? You're scared to say Yes. <laughs> What is the Old Covenant? Genesis to Malachi? <laughs> okay, what do you think? Genesis to what? To John. Really? Okay, where does your Bible make a distinction between the Old Covenant and the New Testament? No, your Bible. <laughs> what? Malachi, right? Okay, then it now says New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, to Revelation. That's New Testament, right? But here the Bible says that the New Testament is written by the Spirit of God, not with ink. How many of you have your Bibles written with ink? The paper Bible. <laughs> Some of you started thinking iPad, yeah? <laughs> so, but if you buy the paper Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John to Revelation is written with ink, right? So, why does the Bible say that the ministration of the New Testament is not written with ink by the Spirit of God? So, it tells you that the books you are reading, the books of the New Testament, are not the New Testament. They are the books of the New Testament. Do you understand that? The books of the New Testament are discoveries of the New Testament. They are not the New Testament. 
So the New Testament is in Christ Jesus. The New Testament is in the Spirit. So let's say it together. The New Testament is in the Spirit. Again, the New Testament is in the Spirit. You can also put it this way. The New Testament is by the Spirit, in the Spirit. So when you are reading um, the books of the New Testament, that's not the New Testament. Those are discoveries or epistles of the New Testament. Um, there's a teaching I'm going to do very soon, and it's called the realities of the New Testament. The realities of the New Testament are not in substance, physical substance. The reality of the New Testament is not in physical substance. The reality of the New Testament is in unseen realities. Which means that whatever is of the New Testament is not what is tangible. So there is nothing tangible or physical that can be said to be a part of the transition of the redemptive process. Are you still here? There is nothing physical or tangible that is included in the transition process of redemption. Or to everything that holds its significance in the New Testament, it is not in the tangible. Of course, in the Old Testament, there were certain things that were of the tangible. For example, the tables of stones. That's a symbol. Um, if you go to the tabernacle, you have... Um, in the tabernacle, you have uh, the, 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 the lampstand. Those things are symbols. You have the, the garment of the priest. Those things are symbols. Those are tangible symbols. You have the, uh, the veil. You have the ark of the, co the covenant where God resides on. That's the glory of God. Now, all those things are tangible things which were essential for the old covenant. But in the new covenant, the new covenant is in unseen realities. So everything about the new covenant is not in the physical. Now that's not to say that the physical could not be used as symbols to drawing from the source of the unseen realities. In short, what I'm trying to say, because some of you are looking at me. What I mean to say is that you cannot say in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit is in a bottle of oil. Because the New Testament is not in the tangible. The essence of the New Testament is in unseen realities. The essence of the New Covenant is in the Spirit. Not written with ink. Written by the Spirit of God. And is in the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not in a bottle. The Spirit of God is not a dove. In the New Testament, we don't do symbols. Yeah, in the New Covenant, you don't, you don't use symbols as a medium to complete the transitions of the essence of the New Covenant. So that's why, as a believer... Wearing your crucifix, I like to wear one, 
But wearing your cross doesn't mean you have become more protected. <laughs> you get to what I'm saying? Or the pastor wants to pray for you. And um, if someone is sick, and because the pastor has to pray for the sick, and the oil, the olive oil, is not available, <laughs> meet me in the house, because there's oil in the house. So I will take the oil and anoint you with the oil. The New Testament is not in physical things. The New Testament is in the Spirit. By the Spirit. Hallelujah. So where is the New Testament? By the Spirit. Okay, TSP. <laughs> so tomorrow you go somewhere or you hear someone say to you that um, I wanted to pray for him, but because the oil wasn't there... I held on until they brought the oil to me. And then I poured the oil. Now, can I ask you a question? Does that, does that mean that we can't use oil in the church? No. But what I'm telling you is that if the oil is used to draw its essence from the main thing in the New Testament, which is of Christ, that's fine. But if it becomes a pattern that until there is oil, I can't pray for the sick. I have idolized the oil. Or if I need a handkerchief to always pray for the sick, I have idolized the, the handkerchief. So the New Testament is in what? Unseen realities. Hallelujah. So it says that the New Testament is not written in tables of stones, but in fleshy tables of the heart. Verse 4 says, And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Verse 5, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Hallelujah. Come on, just say after me. Say, my sufficiency is of God. Say it again. Say, my sufficiency is of God. Look at your neighbor and say, your, your sufficiency is of God. There is nothing that qualifies you to the place of sufficiency if you have no place in God. Your sufficiency is of God. Hallelujah. Verse 6 says, who also had made us able ministers of the new covenant. Let's read verse 6 together. One to go. Who also have made us able ministers of the new covenant. Somebody say after me. Say, I am an able minister. Oh, let's say it loud. Say, I am an able minister of the new covenant. The word able is the word empowered. It speaks of empowerment. It speaks of capacity. You have capacity inside of you. Hallelujah. You have been made an able minister of the new covenant, the new testament. And I'm happy that TSP is a church where we're very emphatic about where we stand as regarding the old testament and the new testament. We're not ministers of the old testament. Hallelujah. 
Yeah, there are many ministers of the Old Testament who dress nice, who talk nice, but you see, listen to what is said. If what is said is according to the spirit of the Old Testament, that's not for you. Praise the Lord. You are an able minister of the new covenant. Say it again. Say, I am an able minister of the new covenant. Now it says, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. Some of you have um, issues with that verse where the Bible says the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. Well, the Bible says the letter is not talking about the logos. The logos is Jesus. The logos is the word. So it says the letter, the written word, kills, but Rema gives life. No. <laughs> Calm down. That's not what he's saying. So the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. That's not what he's what he's saying, he's talking about the law. The letter is what? The law. Not the Logos. The Logos is what is spoken about in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God. And the Word was God. So when the Bible says the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life, he's saying that the law kills but the Spirit gives life. We are no longer in the dispensation of the law. We are now in the dispensation of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Are you excited? Come on, somebody say, I'm excited to be under the dispensation of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Now it says, but the letter killeth, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraving in stones, what is that? The law. The law is the ministration of death. Another way to know what the law is, is death. That's what the Bible says. The letter kill it, but the spirit give it life. So he says, um, if the ministration of death, written and engraving in stones, was glorious. Hear me, friends. See, um, there is some glory when you preach the law. So don't be deceived. Don't be carried away. We're not saying that the law is not glorious. The law was glorious. There are people who will preach the law and you will fall under the anointing. In fact, You'll be, you'll be engrossed with so much of conviction. But it's a ministry, it doesn't change it from being a ministration of death. The Bible calls the law the ministration of what? Of death. So it says, but if the ministration of death, written and engraving in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away? Mm. Can I look at the... Uh, let's look at the Living Bible. Let's see what the Living Bible says on this, on this... What verse is that? Verse 7, right? Yeah, let's look at the Living Bible. Uh, it says... It says, Yet that old system of law that led to death began... With such glory that people could not bear to look at Moses' face. For as he gave them God's law to obey, 
his face shone out with the very glory of God through the brightness that though the brightness was already fading away. Do you know why Moses put a veil on his face? Moses put a veil on his face because the glory was fading. Not, because, not just because the glory was too much. He didn't want people to know that the glory was disappearing. So he put a veil. Yeah. So he says, uh, the Bible says that, Shall we not expect far greater glory in these days when the Holy Spirit is giving life? Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Let's go back to our King James Version. Amen. So what verse are we? Verse um, 8 now? Okay. So it says, How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory. Now, um, we have said that the law is the ministration of number one, what? Death. And here now we're seeing that the ministration of um, the law is also what? A ministration of what? Condemnation. Can I tell you something? This is for you to just know straight up. That whatever brings condemnation to you is not of the spirit. There is no Christ in that. Because the law is called the ministration of death. And the law is also called the ministration of condemnation. So whenever you begin to get a hit back of condemnation. Now I'm not talking about correction. The difference between condemnation and correction is judgment. I have concluded on you and judged you. But you see, when there is correction, correction is done in love. Condemnation is never done in love. So for those of us who are under grace, we must realize that there is a place for correction. Are you still here? Somebody say, yes, I am. Alright, so there is a place for correction. The Bible says, he who the son loves, he chastises. So when you are corrected or you've done something wrong and Pastor Phil begins to correct you, don't tell me that Pastor Phil, I'm under grace, not law. <laughs> That's a wrong application of dispensational mindset of the scripture. <laughs> Praise God. Or you are rebuked sharply and then you begin to say, I'm under grace and not law. You don't understand. But condemnation is when a judgment is passed on you without any chance to express hope. That's condemnation. So here the Bible says that for if the ministry of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. You can't talk about the ministration of the Spirit or the ministration of grace without talking about the ministration of what? Righteousness. So two things that um, the ministration of the law is called is number one, the ministration of death, and number two, the ministration of what? Condemnation. For you to know that the sermon is a ministration of death or life is where you can discern condemnation. If you can pick condemnation out of it, that's that's administration of Moses. 
Now, verse 11 says, or verse 10, verse 10 says, For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect. It means you can't compare the law and grace. There is no comparison. You can't put together, you can't put on the same plane law and grace. Is the law glorious? Yes, the law is glorious. Is the preaching of the law glorious? Yes, it is glorious. Why do you think many Nigerians are deceived? Why do you think many people who who are so-called Christians are deceived? They are deceived because, you see, the law makes a demand on you. And we like to do things to feel it is working. You just will not stay in the simplicity of the gospel. So if I tell you everything has been done already. See, can we understand the past tense of the gospel? There's what is called the past tense of the gospel. The past tense of the gospel is what has already been done. There is the future tense of the gospel. There is the present tense of the gospel. We must know what is the past tense. What's an example of the past tense? Who hath delivered us from the power of death. He says he hath delivered us. You are not trying to be delivered. You have been delivered from the power of death. You see, that's why I'm confused when someone says he has a deliverance ministry. You see, I'm yet to understand you. <laughs> Your ministry, as a man of God, you've been called. All you've been called to do is to deliver. A deliverance ministry. You see, your deliverance happened when you gave your life to Christ. Amen. That's when your deliverance happened. The Bible says, Who has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So the deliverance happened when I was born again. I don't know what deliverance again. So, Pastor Phil, you don't know what is happening in my village. (laughs) You need to come to my village. See, let me tell you, we all have funny backgrounds we um in one way or the other so most of you who are looking at me one of your parents was a native doctor my grandfather was a native doctor my grandfather yeah was a witch doctor so powerful in his own kingdom (laughs) oh i hear my uncles would tell me that he would slap the wall and bring out a bunch of money (laughs) Are you sure that's soft? (laughs) I'm not sure if that's soft. It sounds good, right? In fact, that's not even the administration of death. That's the administration of Satan. He will slap the wall. He will bring out money from the wall. He will be in his bedroom in the village and at the same time he's having a meeting in Lagos. Yeah. He was deep in occult. He was deep in demonic activity. He would give my uncle, some of his children, he would give them a liquid. They wash their face and when they go to the market, they would see people walking upside down. They would see people walking with their head on the floor and their legs are walking in the sky. 
he will go out in the morning as a normal person and then he comes back as a leopard. Yeah. It's really bad. And that's where my father came. That's the kind of family my father came out of. The Bible says God commanded light to shine out of darkness. And darkness comprehended. The the story of my father is very simple. When he was born, they took him to the oracle. Because my grandfather was a prince. His father, he's my great-grandfather, my grandfather. <laughs> it's annoying when you're trying to say something, amen. So, um, my great grandfather was a king. So, they took my father to the oracle. They said, What is it about this, this boy's life? The oracle said, His future is white. They took a white paper and said, This is the way his destiny is. Who can't see anything? God commanded light to shine out of darkness, and darkness comprehended not. But his other brothers. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're listening to the tape wherever you are. I know now you're born again. Amen. Yeah, but they saw for them. <laughs> oh yeah. So uh, every of every of my 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 uncles, my aunties, they all have tribal marks, apart from my father. Because they couldn't figure him out as a child. Said so this one is different, leave him. And when he got saved, he brought back the light of the gospel back to the village. So the point is, your deliverance started when you got born again. You have been translated from the kingdom of darkness, who has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and has translated us into the into the kingdom of his dear son. Amen. So verse, where are we? Verse 10. It says, For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Can you say after me, please help me say this, that the ministration of the law is done away with. Completely, it's done away with. So seeing then that we have such hope, we use, what does it say? Great plainness of speech. Seeing that we have such hope, we do what? We use Great plainness of speech. We are bold. Plainness of speech there speaks about boldness. It speaks about your expression with words. You are bold about it. You know, the old covenant was done in silence. The rudiments of the old covenant, the ceremonial law, was done in silence. Like this. There's no talking because if you talk, you can be struck dead. So, that's the old covenant. But in the New Testament, the Bible says we have great plainness of speech. The Bible says we have not received the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit of 
his song whereby we cry. We cry. Daddy, daddy. Abba, father. Abba means father. So it's father, father. Some of you say, Abba, father, intimacy. No, calm down. It's daddy, daddy. daddy. That's what he's saying. Amen. It's daddy, daddy. So it says, in the ministration of the spirit, there is what? Great plainness of speech. Plainness of speech. There is boldness to talk. In the spirit of the new covenant, we talk, we speak. In the spirit of the new covenant, we don't, we don't, we don't observe all those um, moments of compulsory silence that the old covenant required. When you walk into the tabernacle, you must be quiet. Only the priest must talk. Oh, blessing gay, oh, men in gay. We grew up saying that together. But we have great plainness of speech. Hallelujah. So he says, And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. The children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end. You see, the Bible uses two words here that seem similar, but they are not really similar. It speaks about end, and then he talks about abolished. So one is end, the other abolished. Let me see what the Living Bible says about this. So now, the Bible says that they could not steadfastly look to that which... Um, was put to end, and that which will be abolished. Let me explain that. You see, when Jesus came, Jesus did not abolish first, and then put to end. He put to end first, and then he abolished. Does that make sense to you? You know, many of you think that when we say the Old Testament has been done away with, we're indirectly saying that we discarded the Old Testament just like that. No. We didn't just discard the Old Testament. We didn't just discard the law. No. The law came to an end. When I say the law came to an end, what do I mean? I mean that the law was fulfilled. Are you still here? So, in your Bible, which one comes first? End or abolished? End. So, Jesus brought to end the law first before he abolished the law. Somebody opened to me, uh, open uh, um, Romans chapter 10 verse 4. Somebody opened Romans chapter 10 verse 4. Another person opened Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Romans chapter 10 verse 4. And Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Who is in Romans chapter 10 verse 4? Yep. What does it say? For Christ is what? The end of the law. Let's say that together. For Christ is the end of the law. Let's say it again. For Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone that what? Believe it. Let's say that again. For righteousness to everyone that believe it. So let's start from the beginning. For Christ is the end of the law 
for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For righteousness to everyone that does. Yeah, yeah, you got, you got it. I was actually asking a question. Is it for righteousness to everyone who does? Is it for righteousness to everyone who works? For righteousness to everyone who what? Believes. So, who is the end of the law? Christ is the end of the law. So, the Old Testament, uh, the, the Israelites, they could not look steadfastly to the end. Meaning, they couldn't end it. So, therefore, they can't abolish it. But Jesus came. He came under the law to end the law and then abolish the law. That's why we celebrate the Savior. Amen. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Who else is there? Matthew 5 verse 17. Matthew 5 verse 17. Somebody read for me. Matthew 5 verse 17. Think not that I have come to what? Destroy the law. Yeah, but all the prophets. Yeah. I have not come to destroy, but to do what? To fulfill. So let's say that together. I have not come to destroy. Don't worry. Me asking you to say it together. I'm not saying you are the one who has not come to destroy. Okay, let's say it this way. Jesus did not come to destroy. But to what? To fulfill the law. Hallelujah. So verse 13 says, And not as much, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth, the same veil untaken away in the reading. Mm. It says, in the reading of what? The Old Testament. In the reading of the Old Testament. How many of you know that in this day where Paul was teaching, there was no Acts, Romans, Ephesians, Corinthians. There was no, in your understanding, New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. Timothy, Titus, James. The epistles of Paul were not written here. So what was he talking about? So he's not talking about um, the Old Testament per se. He's talking about how the Old Testament is read. He's not talking about the Old Testament. But he's talking about the understanding of the Old Testament. That the understanding of the Old Testament changes when you introduce something. So let's keep going. We'll see what that means now. It says, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remained the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Somebody is now saying to me, Pastor Phil, are you trying to say that we shouldn't read the Old Testament again? Because now we are able ministers of the new covenant. So you discard Matthew, I mean Genesis to Malachi. No, that's not what we are saying. Because the point where Paul wrote um, letters to the church, the only books that were available was the Old Testament. 
but he's teaching them how to reread the Old Testament. So I'm not saying you shouldn't read the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is a ministration. Are you getting what I'm saying? The Old Testament is a ministration of death and condemnation. So he's teaching them how to read the Old Testament and see differently the scriptures. So he says, But their minds are blinded. <laughs> Can you lift up your hands and say, My mind is not blinded. You know, when the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ, that's what he's saying. We have the mind of Christ. I know some of us religiously use that scripture to mean that we, we, we pass exams. You pass biology or you pass anatomy or biochemistry. I have the mind of Christ. When they teach, I understand. Yeah, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a subjective interpretation. But if you look at it objectively, in context, when the Bible says you have the mind of Christ, it means you interpret things with a Christ mind. Somebody comes and he tells you something now. And you are hearing what the person is saying. What the person is saying does not correspond or is not consistent with Christ. So your Christ mind will realign what the person is saying. Are you getting what I'm saying? I told you guys I had a dream. <laughs> I had a dream day before yesterday, and what was the dream? A very big cow was pursuing me. <laughs> and the man of God ran. Amen. <laughs> Praise God with all the anointing I've got. <laughs> And you know, the funny thing is that the cow was not a white cow. It was army green. <laughs> you know how dreams can be? Dreams can be funny sometimes. The cow had a very big nose and was looking at me breathing. At first, the cow ran in my dream. Now, <laughs> it's not the scriptures, my dream. The cow ran and I dodged it. And then it moved ahead of me. It took the horn and it wanted to break open a gate. But he couldn't. And then he looked at me. Hallelujah. And came towards me. And I was holding a nylon bag. There was no weapon in my hand. Amen. So something in my mind said, throw the nylon so you can deceive the cow. Then you escape with the other. <laughs> so I woke up terrified. Amen. Yeah. Pastor has such dreams too. Yeah. Some of you just look at us and you think, oh, Pastor Phil can never have a nightmare. Who told you? I can but what now happens, I use my Christ mind to interpret it. What did I say? I said to some of you on the lounge, I said to you guys, I said, what it means is for cow to pursue me, it means goodness and mercies are following me. That's Christ's mind. You interpret your dream. Amen. And guess what? Four people sent me money that day. It's the truth. Four people. Namdi is one of them. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Somebody told me, Pastor Phil, I dreamt that I died. I said, that's good. You are dead in Christ. You are dead in Christ Jesus. I saw myself in a coffin like this. You dressed up, wore shoe, did everything. You now went, you slept like this. <laughs> 
a certain person said, you are dead in Christ. The old you is gone, the new you is come. Interpret your dreams with the Christ mind. You remember that day I told you that I was taking a shower and I walked out from my bathroom and I, I got into the room and I saw the chicken at the window enjoying the music. For your glory. Anytime I sing that song, I always remember chicken now. Amen. But do you know what some other people would have done? The enemy has sent a spy. Say, whoever... Can I preach this thing? (laughs) Can I preach this thing? Whoever you are! I hear with my left ear, witches. Look at your neighbor saying, you have the mind of Christ. Because you see a bird, Holy Ghost fire, really? Because a bird flies over your roof. Or, maybe, maybe not a bird, owl. And then you begin to intercede. Cockroach pass, passes you. And the way you speak in tongues, you, you go spiritual at that moment. You say there is a spy. And then all sorts of topics that pastors have have put out there on posters begin to come to your mind. Tied in the village, wanted in the city. (laughs) Who stole my liver as as a pastor? (laughs) For you, instead of you to teach the people the word of God, is the topic is who stole my liver. Mm. My wedding gown is brown. <laughs> Amen. Amen. God deliver the church. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so we have the mind of Christ. Somebody say after me, I have the mind of Christ. Tell your neighbor, you have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. Too. You interpret things with the Christ mind. When you have a dream, you don't interpret your dream based on just what your dream said. Analyze it. Comparing spiritual with spiritual. Compare it. Don't just take it. Compare it. Is it consistent? That's a Christ mind. Hallelujah. You cannot be a TSP believer, New Covenant believer, and be a witch conscious person. No. Hallelujah. If you give witches attention, they will give you direction. All your ministries to cast out demons. That's, what, that's why you are called. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So it says, but their minds were what? Blinded. For until this day remained the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Now, the Bible says, which veil is what? Done away in Christ. Let's say that again. The veil is done away in Christ. Can we say that three times? The veil is done away in Christ. Again. The veil is done away in Christ. Again. Again. Now, the veil is 
done away in Christ. What is a veil? A veil is something that shields information from you. That's a veil. So, a veil is put in front of something. So, instead of seeing the information, what you see is the veil. So, because of the veil, you can't access what is behind or beyond the veil. Now, the Bible says that for those who are still under the law, there is a veil when the Old Testament is read. But, let me put it this way. Jesus Christ is the, or let's put it this way, Christ. Because if I say Jesus Christ, I limit the entity of Christ to a person. So let's say Christ. You can take Christ as both a person and a philosophy. Okay? Are you getting me? So Christ is the taking away of the veil to see the real picture of the Old Testament. It is Christ that gives you the full picture of the Old Testament. There is a veil when you read the Old Testament. If I take the Old Testament now, the Old Covenant, and I'm reading the Old Covenant, there is a veil that is naturally there. But when you introduce Christ, the veil of the Old Testament is taken away. Do you understand that? It means that you see the Old Testament for what it really is. When you talk Christ. So, Jesus Christ, or Christ, is the one who takes away the veil. There was a day we did a program in school and we called the program Beyond the Veil. So now, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, or you see the Mercy Seat, for example, Christ takes away the veil of the explanation of the Mercy Seat. And then instead of reading about the Ark of the Covenant, what you're really seeing is Jesus. Are you getting what I'm saying? If you're reading the story about Noah's Ark, you think you're just reading a story. But you're not just reading a story. Christ takes away the veil in the Old Testament. So when you're reading about Noah's Ark, what you are interpreting with your Christ mind now, yeah? With your Christ mind now, you are seeing Jesus as the ark. So, I, I can imagine when Jesus went to um, um, the prison and he began to preach to the spirits that were in prison, the people of the Old Testament. I'm sure maybe when he went to Noah and he said, the ark you are building, I am he. And then he said to Moses, he said, the blood that you put on the lintels at the Passover, when, when the Spirit said, when I see the blood, I will pass over. That blood was talking about me. So you see, in the reading of the Old Testament now, when you introduce Jesus Christ, there is a taking away of a veil. So a veil is in the minds of people who don't know Christ. Or people who are still in the law. That's why you see when people who don't understand the new covenant, they can't explain the scriptures in the right context for you. 
That's the reason why they will tell you, you have to do certain things to be accepted by God. There's a veil. Are you still here? So, it says that, but even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when he shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Hallelujah. When he shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Verse 17, the Bible says, Now the Lord is that spirit. The Lord is that spirit. The Lord is that spirit. When you turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. And the Lord is that spirit. Meaning that you can't separate the ministry of the Holy Spirit from the Lord. You can't separate the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit's ministry from Jesus. You see, people think that when you talk about the Holy Spirit, you are talking about a solemn person. Uh, the pastor says, the Holy Ghost is here. And everybody says, hmm. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is not the chairman of Goosebumps Association. <laughs> so when you mention the Holy Spirit, the first thing you do is to be quiet. <laughs> so that means for the rest of your life, you should not talk. If they ask you your name, you can't talk. Why? Because the Spirit is in you. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. I know some people will do that for everything, but if they ask you, what are you going to eat? <laughs> Beans. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's that. That reminds me of uh, a day I was playing around my mother's um, property, her bags, her clothes. I just got back from school. I needed money urgently. I was in SS2 at the time. My, my dad wasn't around. And then <clears throat> she was praying in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I kept asking. I, I knew she was praying, but I just wanted to disturb her. Amen. Amen. See, your time is going to come. You would have this kind of testimony. Your children will do that to you. <laughs> well... <laughs> It's not a bad prayer. You just have lively kids. Amen. So, I, my mom was praying. And I just went to her. I said, Mommy, where's the money? She looked at me. I'm like, wow. Really? So, and, and she has a lot of bags. A lot of bags. So, she kept praying. But the funny thing is that her attention was not taken away from me. Meaning that as I was moving from one point to the other looking for the bag, her face was looking at me. <laughs> Praise God. She was looking at me everywhere. You know, and she kept praying in the Holy Spirit until. <laughs> Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall labor. Seek and ye shall find. So when I found the bag where the treasure was, immediately I found it. Yes. <laughs> Praise God. The Holy Spirit is not the one who gives you 
You see, the Holy Spirit can do that sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you can feel the tangible presence of God and you, you feel that. But you see, your life and your spiritual walk with God is not necessarily limited to your feelings. Hallelujah. So he says, nevertheless, when he shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty means revelation. So where the Holy Spirit is. Why? Because the spirit is the Lord. The Lord is that spirit. The spirit will point to Jesus. The spirit will take the veil away. The veil is done away in Christ. So he says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is liberty. There is liberty. What is liberty? The veil has been taken away and there is revelation of the true picture of the old covenant. Are you getting this? So the moment you, can I say this to you? The moment you see secrets in the Bible, that's liberty. The moment you see revelations in Christ, in the scripture, that's liberty. Because revelation is liberty. Yes. The truth shall set you free. But you see, it's not really the truth shall set you free. It says, you shall know the truth and the truth you know shall set you free. That's why if you take a Bible and you put under your head, if witches want to oppress you, they will oppress you with the Bible under your head. It's the scriptures, it's the word in your heart. That makes the difference. Amen. So you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So the Lord is that spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. There is revelation. There is access. That's why when you come to the knowledge of something, you realize that there is freedom in your spirit. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Spirit of God doesn't bring you power. It's the sufferings of Christ that brought you power. The Spirit of God tells you what power you have. He opens you up to the power. This is that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened that you might know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who had believed. So the Holy Spirit brings you to the revelation of power. He's not power. He doesn't give power. He shows you Jesus. He shows you all that you have. Hallelujah. So, let's look at verse 18 now. We're going to close with verse 18. Verse 18 says, But we all, can we read it together? One to go. Are you there? Now let's read it together. One to go. But we all, with open face. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Open face, what does that mean? Um, Yeah, the, the veil is not there anymore. Hallelujah. It means you can see things for the way they really are. Hallelujah. He said, we all. Now, you must know when Paul says we and them. There is a difference when he says we, them, us, they. It's not the same. They, he's talking about the unbelievers. Them, he's talking about unbelievers. We, us, he's talking about we believers. 
That's why, see, see what it says. See what it says here. It says, um, uh, see, it says, verse 15 says, But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon what? There. Are you there? I am we. Labor. So he says, we all with what? Open face. Somebody say after me, my face is open. Say it again. Say my face is open. We all with open face beholding what? Yeah, the real translation is mirror. When you look at the mirror, what do you see? You see your reflection. You see your reflection. When you look at the mirror, you see your reflection. Yeah, a veil can be in between you and something. For example, if you're knocking this door um, and you're inside the room and you hear a knock, and you say, who is that? Um, the veil, or which is the door, shields the information of who is outside of the house. So, when you open the door, you see the person. So, opening the door brings you to seeing the other person. But, the mirror is not talking about the door. The mirror is a reflection of you. Ah, did you get that? It means the reality of the New Testament is going to make you see yourself. The way you really are. I don't have time to explain that. But for those of you who catch it, praise God. This is we all with open face, beholding us in the mirror, the glory of God, we are being changed into the same image. From glory to glory. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the ministry of the New Testament that brings Christ to your revelation. Hallelujah. So I have the mind of Christ. I see things the way Christ sees things. I understand the Bible with the Christ mind. Praise God. So you see, you must learn to interpret your life from that reality. You know why I call TSP the standpoint church? The standpoint means a, a viewpoint. It means a perspective. That's what standpoint means. It means a perspective. So if, if you, as an individual, begin to see your life from the perspective of the finished work of Christ, you have a correct interpretation of who you are. Amen? So we have the mind of Christ. Can you say after me, my mind is unveiled. Let's say that again. My mind is unveiled. I have the spirit of the living God. I see things as Christ sees things. I understand the scripture with the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. This is what we with plainness of speech we speak and we declare. Hallelujah. With boldness. So that means when you see things according to the law of liberty, when you see things in the scripture, speak them with boldness. Amen.
That's who you are in Jesus Christ. Can I give you a few moments to just declare and say who you are in Christ? Are you going to do that? Just go ahead and in two minutes just begin to declare who you are in Christ. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and for more information about the Standpoint Church, visit our social media platform on www.facebook.com slash standpointabj, twitter.com slash standpointabj, instagram.com slash standpointabj, and on soundcloud.com slash standpointabj.